On this edition of Across College Lacrosse, I recap the season just a little bit, but now we're on to the offseason. We got some transfers coming in. We have some rumors of transfers, coaching moves, and uh, earlier today we learned kind of that Illinois was adding men's hockey or was planning to add men's hockey by the end of the calendar year. What could that mean for lacrosse? and the entire process of adding another men's or women's program to an FBS school. This is another edition of Across College Lacrosse. Hey, hey, welcome everybody to another edition and a long-awaited edition of Across College Lacrosse. And you can blame job interviews that I've had and me job hunting for this long wait. I don't even know if people wanted to listen to this, but if you do, that's great. We welcome you back, episode number 27 of the podcast. I am your host, as always, Chris Dostremski. You can follow me on Twitter at CF Dostremski. You can like us on Facebook. College Cross, and then we have a Twitter, and rarely we use it, Instagram pages. You can follow us there, at college underscore cross. Um, since we last left, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened. We crowned a national champion. Congrats to Yale, Merrimack, and Wesleyan, and James Madison, and LeMoyne, and Gettysburg, men and women, in all three divisions. Uh, ben Reeves and Sam Apuzo won Tawaratons, and the college lacrosse season ended. There's also now rumors and transfers and coaching hires. It's that time of season again. It's the off season, but there's always some drama in the off season. You know, with moves, who's going where? Is this true? Source battles, whatever. Gotta love it, and I love always love to be involved in those. But we'll start off, you know, quick. Hit of the end of the season. Congrats to Yale. They were definitely the best team out there in Division One lacrosse this year. The most consistent one. And we ended up, you know, in the quarterfinals. This could be the most balanced quarterfinal. Nearly all those games weren't uh, a battle. Most of them were lopsided. I think the closest game was really the most entertaining one was Albany-Denver. Then to get to the Final Four. Semifinals were blowouts for the most part. I mean, Maryland kind of snuck back against Duke late with a, making it a one-goal game before Duke came back with a run of their own to win. And then the national championship was pretty good uh, with Yale and Duke. It wasn't an instant classic. It was a good game. Yale came up on top by two. And the Bulldogs, for the first time in modern NCAA history, second time ever, Winning their national, winning a national championship. We like to say it's the first time ever they won it, but if you're a big Yale guy, you know, 1883 they won one, where they shared it with Harvard and Princeton. How do they? That happens. God, I don't know, but they like to consider it a national championship in their record books. Most people don't. I like, you know what? If you want to think it's a national championship, go right ahead. If not, go right ahead as well. I don't care. I consider it their first national championship. And it could be a sign to come for a lot of other teams. You know, we have 
Albany made it to the Final Four. They have some losses they'll have to fix, especially with Connor Fields. Especially now we'll get to T-Deer in a little bit. Duke looks to be really good next year again. They don't lose a lot of guys. Gutterding is one. Fowler's another. You also have Maryland, as always. Fifth straight Final Four appearance. Got to be more uh, with John Tillman leading at the helm in that younger class. Although they do lose Connor Kelly. And then got teams like Loyola. Teams like Hopkins. Teams like, you know, even a Syracuse or a Cornell. Cornell especially just hired Peter Milliman full-time. We'll get to that too. Syracuse is a, is a young team. Georgetown. No, that, that that game against Hopkins was probably the most entertaining of the NCAA tournament games. The only one that went to overtime, too. Hopkins needed a five-goal comeback. They were down four in the fourth. They got four in that final, late half of the final quarter. You can, you can thank Kyle Marr for that. And then I think Shaq Stanwick got the game winner in overtime. It pushed them to the quarterfinals in Annapolis. Uh, probably the best game. I mean, you know, there was another one-goal game with Cuse and Cornell, but both teams did not play that well, if you ask me. I would definitely give the game of the tournament to Georgetown and Hopkins. Also, Torrington's not surprised by Ben Reeves winning it. Same Apuzo, a little bit, uh, but she definitely kind of deserved it, especially that play she made against Maryland in the semifinals. And she took her team to the uh, NCAA championship. They won it, too. Actually, they lost it. They lost it to James Madison. Um, but she did a really good job taking her team all the way there, and this team's going to be really good next year. Don't forget, Kenzie Kent will be back. And everyone loved her, and she thought everyone thought she was going to be a Torrington candidate. She, they probably BC is probably going to have two Torrington candidates next year on the women's side. So congrats to all the winners, individual award winners, team national champions. You did a great job. Now it's on to the offseason. And how will Yale or any of the other national champions build up and continue their dominance? There's also in Division One, 70 other teams forming their summer plans and recruiting whatnot. And then you also have two new teams. Two new teams coming in. St. Bonaventure and Utah, and I wrote a little bit about them on collegecross.com. You can check that out on our front page. Uh, what about those two teams? St. Bonaventure, a typical, a normal new program arising. They are starting to hire their coaches. Douglas McSorley is really the only one, you know, officially introduced. Uh, they got the Hilbert, the old Hilbert College head coach by the name of Rick Schunke. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Rick Shunky, Shunky, whatever. Uh, that sounds like they're full-time staff. They have probably room for a volunteer assistant. Uh, but pretty much, Randy Mearns leading the program. They are starting their social media presence a little bit. They have a nice field. It's a really nice field. Uh, Tom and Michelle Mara Athletics Fields Complex. Doesn't have a lot of seats, however. Uh, if you look at pictures on their website, so that's kind of a, a negative. Uh, they are starting their locker room campaign. They're constructing a locker room uh, at the Riley Center or Riley Arena in uh, one of the bottom floors there. It appears that they're going to have a visiting visiting team locker room. 
shower, bathroom, and then 51 individual solid oak lockers down for their locker room. And they're right now getting some donations from other Bonaventure alums. Uh, maybe we should see some uh, old St. Bonaventure uniforms come back from the mid-80s. Would be nice, but they are an Adidas lacrosse school. So, our Adidas school, we will probably see them in typical normal Adidas lacrosse jerseys, which might suck. But, oh well. They're on the roll there with St. Bonaventure, and they have some good guys coming. Brad Dobson, goalie for Hill Academy, will be going over to the Bonnies. And they have that Canadian pipeline there, too. Right near Canada, Can- uh, Randy Mearns, former Canisius head coach, knows the Buffalo area very well. He's the head coach of the Canadian national team, and they might or might not go to Israel for the FIL World Championships. We'll see about that. But he has a pedigree. He knows his recruiting. He knows the area very well. He knows Canada, so he could get a lot of those Canadian team or players, like those guys from the Hell Academy, down to St. Bonaventure, try to build something there. But it, it'll probably take some time to start. Uh, meanwhile, with the other team that's starting up next season is Utah, and they are a lot different than St. Bonaventure or a team like Cleveland State or a team like UMass Lowell or Monmouth, whatever. One of the, uh, any of those newer programs and the fact that they've been up and running they are in an mcla team uh brian holman has been at the helm of the mcla team for the past two years and rumors began in 2016 that utah was getting division one lacrosse team kind of easily shot down uh by the utah administration uh but they did hire holman it sounded like they were preparing for a run at make it getting a Division One team. Then last year, we heard, like, oh, the Board of Trustees is voting to make this team a Division One team. They had a press conference at all with Dr. Chris Hill, then AD. He's been changed with the new, uh, former USF AD. I forget his name. But Holman, his son Marcus, Adam Gettleman, and volunteer assistant Will Manny, along with Director of Operations Tim McDermott, lead the Utes to the first-ever NCAA team season in 2019 they'll play their games at Ute soccer field which is really nice right backdrop is the Rocky Mountains I believe Rocky Mountains I believe it's a beautiful landscape uh just seen a lot of photos there campus is right near the mountains skiing whatever they have division one coaching staff easily they are younger than most coaches the assistants especially uh but Brian Holman knows his stuff uh, there's a lot of publicity with this program that, you know, it's Utah, it's a Western school, it's more farther West than Air Force in Denver. How will that affect Pacific Coast kids? Will that mean more Pacific Coast teams starting up? Maybe a smaller school like Pepperdine or Cal State Fullerton or whatever. Maybe not USC just yet. But 16 wins uh, for the Utes, all of them coming in a row. Lost to BYU in the MCLA quarterfinals, and that was it. They do have a lot of guys coming in. Cooper Kniece, attackman, and a younger brother of current Penn State goalie, Colby Kniece. James Sexton is an OCC transfer. And they have two Division One guys right now, and former Bellman defenseman Aiden Christian and St. John's goalie, former St. John's goalie, Daniel Costa. 
Uh, there are going to be some interesting games with the uh, Utes, you know, and I've seen a little bit of their schedule already. Um, St. Bonaventure, we're not totally sure what their schedule might be. You know, Canisius, Siena, Cleveland State, upstate New York teams, Hobart maybe. Get that area. Cleveland State's nearby in Ohio. Maybe they play Ohio State. We'll see how St. Bonaventure rolls along in their first year. Utah, you know, they do have Denver. They do have Air Force nearby. Holman have a connection with North Carolina. Hopkins even. Harvard or Virginia with Gettleman. UMass or Wagner with Bo Manny. Uh, but from what I've heard with a few school, with uh, talking to some of the Utah people that they have some a plenty of uh, good teams on their schedule this year and even next year. Um, Denver and Cleveland State are two of those opponents. Uh, but we'll see when that schedule comes out and we can dissect, you know, how many wins this team might have. Brian Holman said, or I've heard from, you know, a source saying like, you know, Brian Holman thinks this team can win three to five games next year. And I kind of agree. You know, you could, maybe you won't beat those North Carolinas yet. You might not beat those, those blue blood schools. Could probably beat an Air Force, maybe. Could probably beat, you know, a Richmond or a, a Robert Morris. You could probably be on par with those. But I think they get a jump start in the fact that they've been preparing for this for the past two years. They have the coaching staff. They are getting the Division One talent from a lot of places. And right now they have 36 players on their online roster. They are, if you look at Lax Power IL's recruiting database, they are getting a lot more talent freshmen coming in next year. Uh, so we should expect a lot of good things, a lot of you know fun from the Utah program. Would love to see a game, maybe not on, probably on ESPN Plus. I don't think the U will go out and broadcast a game. Pac-12 Network, we'll see. Um, but yeah, very excited for those two programs. Moving on. To current schools and what they are doing. A lot of transfers going on right now and coaching moves. We'll start off with the transfers. Uh, the ones we already know. Andrew Romanoli, formerly of Delaware. Johnny Holzman, a goalie, formerly of Bellarmine, going to Marquette. Uh, big additions for the Golden Eagles, especially Holzman, who was a college cross second team all-freshman selection. You can check out the entire off-freshman list on collegecross.com. Uh, he had a, he came in, I think, midway through the season as a starting goalie. He won Bellarmine's, all of Bellarmine's three or four games, I believe. Or at least he won three games for Bellarmine. Uh, very good save percentage. And with the whole Kevin Burns situation getting fired and whatever, probably a good move for him to move on and go to a different school like Marquette. Joe Amplo has a has been making Marquette a very good Big East team. Cole Blazer has been a good goalie. He graduates now, so Holzman will assume that role. He's got three years left of eligibility. Romanoli, I believe he's got a year or two, at least a year, with the uh, Golden Eagles. He was on the uh, Blue Hens roster beginning of this year, but some kind of uh, violation of team rules got him off the Blue Hens, and he's a very good attackman. It's only for, I believe it's only for just one year. Could be wrong, but either way, um, a very, very good addition for the Golden Eagles. They do need some offensive firepower. 
Uh, they haven't had a lot of it in recent years. Yeah, he'll be a redshirt senior coming in 2018, or 2019. And they also get Tanner Thompson back from injury. So maybe another run at the uh, Big East Championship next year for Marquette, along with Anthony Orsini and a few other guys, and Griffin Fleming and you know Nick Grill, and they're good defense. Marquette is getting is a very stable program right now. They are kind of at been operating at the level that they've been at for the past two or three years, a little bit over, a little bit under 500 at times, but around that 500 mark. A very good team, and they are getting new facilities, hopefully soon. They have a great coach in Amplo, very good leaders. Ryan Brown's a volunteer assistant or an assistant there. So they have the guys that can lead this team, coaching-wise. They just need the talent to get there. Malcolm Glendinning, a former defenseman LSM from BU, also a Springside Chestnut Hill Academy grad. He's going to Penn State, kind of closer to home. We don't really know why he's going from BU to Penn State. He started all those games last year for BU. A very good defenseman. He was, I believe, an honorable mention defenseman on our all-freshman list. But getting guys like Braden Peck and Chris Sabia back, Malcolm Glendinning will be a... Penn State listed as an LSM, so that will be a good addition to that defensive core, along with Colby Canise at goalie. Corey Milhouse, a former UVA midfielder, uh, and former Navy prep defenseman Cam James. They are all going to Loyola. And then Jack Cornetick, formerly Manhattan. He was a freshman last year, started many of their games for the Jaspers on defense. He's going to Fairfield. All of these have been reported first by Ty Sanders of Inside Lacrosse. Um, other player news, Max Edelman is getting another year at Rutgers. He was he missed all of 2016 while at CCBC Essex Juco before going to Rutgers for two years. Got a redshirt, medical redshirt year, and will be their goalie in 2019. A big, big return for the Golden for the uh, Scarlet Knights on defense. And speaking of the uh, Scarlet Knights, they will have a four-game series with Loyola beginning next year and starting at High Point Solutions Stadium. And I believe they will still be playing, and it's another game that Loyola adds since they pushed their Patriot League tournament back a week. They are now able to add another game. Very good addition with Rutgers. As for Rutgers... I don't know if they can add another game. They might be able to. If not, who comes off the schedule? Brown, probably. Uh, they had two good games. Both of them have been wins over the Bears. Last year, Brown has not been was not that good. We'll see who they take off. Or maybe they take off a team like NGIT or a team like, you know, a St. John's or whatever, one of those lower-tier teams to improve their strength of schedule. Um, but we'll have to wait and see till more than likely the schedule release comes out in the fall slash winter. So we know our first sneak peek of a schedule, which is the four-year series with Rutgers and Loyola and kind of with Albany, uh, because Cornell and Syracuse are on Albany's schedule. And speaking of that, because TD Ireland, former Albany Fogo has got a full release 
to go transfer anywhere else he wants to go. And that's been the biggest story so far this summer. Has been the Ireland transfer rumors. Where is he going to go? Cornell? Syracuse? Those are the two best options. I think ever since he got a conditional release, you know, he might have not been able to go to Cornell or Syracuse. Some people were saying, oh, he might go to Virginia, maybe Harvard. Doesn't seem like those two schools will be in the picture anymore. Actually, Harvard might not have been in the picture. And it actually would have been one of those teams. More than likely, Ireland might not have been able to transfer to since they were on the schedule last year and probably will be again this year. We'll see. Um, but from what I've heard, Cornell and Syracuse are the two top schools on Ireland's list. Cornell more than likely leading the way with uh, Chase Ireland, the goalie, is also his uh, younger brother going there next fall. And our Mercer Jemmy reported that TD is going to Cornell, more than likely will go. I've heard the same thing. Um, talking to people close to Ireland, they're trying to recruit him. Some of them are trying to recruit. They played Syracuse to Syracuse. Uh, doesn't seem likely that he will go to Syracuse. It will more than likely be Cornell. Uh, either way, he's gonna. He wants a more structured and disciplined program than the one at Albany, which is kind of a little bit relaxed. He's a hard worker. He's a smart kid. I know him a little bit personally. Uh, and some people were saying it was starting late last year, like late December, early January, that he wanted to transfer out. Uh, he had a really good year, record-setting year. So let's say it is Cornell. I don't think he. First of all, I don't think he goes back to Albany. Um, some people think, well, just because he got a full release doesn't mean he's not going to go back to Albany. He wants to get out of Albany, um, and it doesn't seem like he will return back to Albany. He's a smart kid. He should be smart enough to get into either Cornell or Syracuse. It just all depends on where he wants to go and if he gets accepted. And more than likely, it'll be Cornell. Um, but what does this mean for Fogos? What does it mean for Paul Rosimowitz, who went 51.8% last year, if he goes to Cornell? What does it mean for Dan Varela, if he wants to go, if who got a 48% win percentage last year? What if Ireland goes to one of those schools? More than likely, from what I've heard from one of the Fogos, uh, he's preparing to get out and uh, get releases and file a transfer. Will that be the same for, you know, if it, if it does happen, let's say he goes to Cornell, is Rosimowicz ready to transfer? Will he transfer to go to a different school? Maybe. If he does, where? We don't know. So this could play a lot of dominoes. I think with Ireland and his kind of, um, with his skill set, it's different than, you know, a, a regular Fogo that's at like 51% going to a different school. Uh, because this is an obvious number one. And Cornell doesn't really have an obvious number one. Syracuse doesn't have an obvious number one. They have some top dogs, but if they start to fail, which they have seen sometimes at both schools, they do have a backup plan. They do have a bunch of other Fogos, but maybe some long poles sometimes that we saw with Cornell and Brandon Salvatore late in the season. Uh, but... Man, if Cornell gets Ireland, Teat, Donville, George, uh, Jonathan Donville, uh, they will probably either have Bolin or the Ireland brother. We'll see, but those two t uh, those two goalies appear to be really good. 
uh, Clark Pedersen, Colton Rupp, a lot of these guys on Cornell. Uh, maybe even some defense to get a better defense. So they lose Jake Pulver, their top defenseman. Fleet Wallace is back. Dom Doria was a freshman, all-freshman third-team choice. Watch out, Ivy League. Yale, yeesh. They don't, they don't have Connor Mackey coming back. That's not good. They don't have Ben Reeves coming back. They do have Caldet and Jackson Morrill back. What does this mean? Alessi is gone. Tyler Warner is gone. Christopher Keaton's gone. They do have Chris Fake still. Jerry O'Connor's gone. I think Cornell could win a national championship. They could be, I think they could be a kind of an early top five favorite to win the national championship. Maybe top three if they get Ireland. Faceoffs matter. And we kind of did see that with Albany and TD himself. First three faceoffs he won against Denver and Trevor Baptiste. All goals for Albany. And they ended up winning by two. That run early on, it kind of mattered. So we'll keep an eye on that. But I would assume, bet your money, he's going to go to Cornell. Uh, coaching rumors. Peter Milliman, as we mentioned, officially the head coach. The obvious. We've heard about this. I think I heard about this a couple weeks before the tournament started. Uh, easy choice to make. I don't think he needed to go out and you know, have a national search again after his great season. Only question is, what does he do about Jeff Teat and the whole face-guarding situation? If you have teams now face-guarding Jeff Teat every game and you don't know what to do with them, that kind of, uh, it's a problem. And he's got a lot of, he's got the fall and the winter and the summer to work on that if he wants to, or he'll probably just relax. Um, That's something to watch there. Patrick Myers, Former Penn Associate head coach and recruiting coordinator. Now at Lafayette, he will get his squad together. We'll see who goes there. More than likely, everybody at Lafayette's gone. He replaces Ed Williams, the interim head coach, who replaced Jim Rogowski, went to all uh, Michigan as an assistant coach. Very good hire. Pat Myers is the younger brother of Nick Myers, the current head coach at Ohio State. Needs to get Lafayette back Above 500 for the first time since Terry Mangan, who's currently at St. John's as an assistant, back in 2010 did it. They went 8-6 and six that year. Mercer reported as well that Justin Turry, formerly of Harvard, is going to go to Michigan to replace Connor Ford as their offensive coordinator. Turry spent one year with the Crimson. Uh, prior to that, he came over from Army West Point. So uh, an interesting three years for uh, Turry from Army to Harvard, to Michigan, and a Big Ten program. Not sure why he decided to change from Harvard to uh, Michigan. Maybe because it's some coaching uncertainty. So Chris Wojcik will need to replace another assistant coach. Last year replaced literally all of them. Uh, he got Stephen Toomey as an assistant. Got Turi as an assistant. They had a bad year this year again. He might be on the clock if they don't do well next year. Uh, so there could be an opening at Harvard coming. We'll see. Siena, there's a couple of openings. John Speck earlier in the month, uh, relieved of his coaching duties after seven years as head coach. Rob Cross recently, the Siena offensive coordinator, he left for a high school head coaching job. So there's two openings with Siena. A volunteer opening uh, with Army West Point has been filled. Rick Lewis, a former Buckeye. Uh, will be their volunteer assistant this season. 
we also know about a uh, few rumors with Ballerman. Ballerman, Holy Cross, Siena, and Air Force are still searching for head coaches. Ballerman has been the most recent update. Jay Sotheron is a confirmed candidate. According to Lacrosse Bucket Blog, uh, who is really deep in Kentucky, Jim Mitchell, the Rutgers offensive coordinator, is the leading candidate for that job. There's another candidate which we don't really know about, but I would assume probably Jim Mitchell will be the head coach. I don't think Sotheron did a you know, eye-popping fantastic job to take over the Knights permanently. Um, so I would say Jim Mitchell sounds like he will be, if everything goes well, he will be the head coach at Bellarmine, not really confirming anything, but, uh, a good hire, bad loss for Rutgers, especially with their offense. Henningberg's gone. Mitchell would be gone. They do bring back Casey Rose and maybe if he's healthy enough, Adam Charlin Beatties would like to have it if Mitchell was there, but you know, a, a good if that happens, a kind of a good opening up opens up with Rutgers and their assistant offensive coordinator position. It's definitely risen up in recent years with the progress of their program that they've made. A number one ranking a few, last year, another consistent year with the uh, Brian Breck as that coach. So uh, we'll see what happens with Bellerman if Mitchell gets that job. Congrats to him. Probably in the next coming weeks, we should have a decision with many of these. Holy Cross, we don't really know yet, but we've heard from IL that there's four candidates. Sienna has about seven to eight that Sienna's been uh, contacting per IL. And then Air Force, again, we don't know, but the investigation in the, at the academy has finished up. There's about roughly 30 players on the lacrosse team were involved in hazing of freshman cadets to varying degrees. And that came out uh, on Wednesday. Also involved the swim team, but uh, we'll focus on lacrosse right now. And recommended punishments and other actions were forwarded to the commanders of those cadets and student-athletes. Uh, it happened in October. The team was didn't have a fall ball, really. Uh, and then the fall ha- or the spring happened. Eric Sermet was not the coach for the entire year. Bill Wilson took over. Uh, so they said 30 30 players in this investigation involved range from simply being there while hazing took place to encouraging hazing to actively participating in hazing freshmen. Uh, right from the story, there are 52 players listed on the lacrosse team's roster, including 17 freshmen and 35 sophomores, juniors, and seniors, meaning that nearly all of the non-freshman athletes on the team were at least there for the hazing. Um, but uh, I believe right now, that's right now, but... A lot of the sophomores played. They were freshmen too. So maybe some of those freshmen did not play, but or sophomores played, but a lot of them were. A lot of the freshmen were there. There are some juniors and seniors there as well. Uh, some of them were kicked off. Chris Walsh uh, was kicked off the team, it sounds like. There were a few others as well. Grant Gould, I, don't, I didn't really see it all this year. So... A lot of things could have changed if this never happened or this never came out or never happened in the first place. Maybe another SOCON championship for Air Force. Eric Saramet would have been probably having a job. Some of them apparently might not even graduate. Uh, but we will see. Uh, the Air Force spokesperson could not discuss what actions were taken against the lacrosse coaches due to privacy reasons. 
but it appears from what I've seen that Eric Saramet is still fighting for his job and is in some legal issues. I would assume he's going to be out. Bill Wilson could be in, or they could go another route and actually have a national search, but again, that has to go public when that happens. Uh, but some assistants or some coaches that could get a job, uh, Andrew Baxter at Yale, Ryan Wellner comes to mind, Jell Reppert at Maryland, Mark Van Arsdale maybe, Sean Kieran, Leland Rogers at Syracuse, I've heard his name throw around that job, Liam Gleason, or maybe even a coach right now that like maybe a Chris Fives if he wants to leave there for a bigger program. I don't think he does. Probably doesn't want to go. Um, but we could have an we could have an opening at Air Force. I would bet my money there will there will be an opening at Air Force, and they'll have a search going shortly. Also notable, Lisa Miller fired by Harvard Women. She actually helped start the Syracuse Women's Program twenty years ago. Or 25 years ago, whenever that was. Uh, so, kind of a loss there for the Crimson, who didn't do that well this year. New teams, quickly before we end this. New teams. Um, I don't know if we get new teams this summer. More than likely, it'll be non-FBS schools. I'd like to see UConn get some millions of dollars in that. They have a stadium, Wrenchler, and they're hosting the Final Four in uh, in 2021 and 22, if I'm correct. So why not just get a lacrosse team and play in that stadium? And it won't be weird that Fairfield's hosting it when you're playing in a stadium that Fairfield doesn't even own or, yeah, own or even play in. Have UConn, it's a great, especially with Yale winning and Wesleyan, two Connecticut schools. Maybe that helps UConn's push for a lacrosse team this year. Or next year, or a few years from down the road. Um, American comes to mind to finish off the Patriot League. You know, George Washington, LaSalle University. Any of those non-FBS schools comes to mind. Maybe Jacksonville is part of, maybe the Florida area gets some lacrosse teams. Florida Atlantic has a has a football team, but... You know, maybe some there are some schools in Florida where you could see some lacrosse teams. St. Leo, Division Two. They went to the national championship game. They got pummeled by Merrimack, but they got to the national championship game. They're a Florida team. They just started in 2006. Maybe you see a Division I Florida team pop up, as in the, in the state of Florida, not Florida Gators themselves, but that would be really good. Boston College, possibly. Uh, one school I don't think will happen is Illinois. And they are actually right now looking at a Division I hockey team for men. Building a new state, a new arena, $50, $60 million, I believe, from 247 or 24-7 sports. Uh, their, their plan is to try and get something by the end of the year, a green light by the end of the year. Still have to raise millions of dollars to start that program. Uh, and it also includes part of their plan to also improve football facilities, basketball facilities, and a bunch of other facilities at the school. And they have to get, be Title IX compliant and add another women's program. Now, here's one quote where I did see that also included um, women's lacrosse from that 24-7 article. Uh, 
But Whitman, he's the AD, has other motives behind the project too. A new hockey arena would also house at least four other programs, gymnastics, men's and women's, women's volleyball and wrestling that currently are in Huff Hall or Kenny Gym, facilities that provide challenges. The facility would include a permanent separate volleyball and wrestling practice facilities, as well as three hockey rinks, one for public use, one for practice, and one for games. So that's pretty much that new hockey arena they would be building. I don't know why they can't add basketball in there too. Uh, to add a men's hockey program, Illinois would need to add another women's program to comply with Title IX requirements. Whitman said it's not clear what the sport could be, but acknowledged that women's hockey would be under consideration since the athletics department would, wouldn't have to create a new facility for that sport, unlike lacrosse or another sport. So, it does make sense they would add women's hockey. Uh, same scholarships. I don't know if lacrosse is less or more. I think they might be a little bit more, which helps. Or similar. Uh, but either way, I think you're seeing a lot more hockey programs than you are lacrosse. And hockey has a little bit more money. And it is growing, especially in Illinois. With We actually did mention this on College Crosscast. You should listen to that, where... We discussed new teams, and Ryan actually mentioned, or I think Jake, or Ryan, I think Ryan mentioned, Illinois was coming close to starting a D1 hockey program, and, you know, I think more people would rather go hockey, and especially in the fact that Chicago Blackhawks are really good, and they want to have their imprint in Chicago, continue their imprint in Chicago, at a hockey team. Northwestern doesn't have a hockey team, I believe. For men, I think they might have for women, but men, they don't. Illinois would be beating them. Northwestern, all hopes for maybe a men's hockey team would end, or a men's lacrosse team might end if they decide to go hockey. So there are plenty of challenges there. Uh, and I don't know how many people have a lot of money willing to get other people on board and pushing money for new facilities. Uh, if they do decide to get at women's lacrosse, that would be a great start for Illinois. Because, you know, getting the women's sport is kind of a gateway drug to adding a men's sport. But again, it seems like you need money. And I think a lot of teams have bigger priorities to start a little bit more popular sports. Sports that are, you know, are part of the big four. You know, hockey, baseball, basketball, or football. Football and basketball are kind of the money makers. Then you have baseball and hockey in that second tier. Lacrosse, I would think, is in that third tier. Uh, would like to see those teams add lacrosse, Northwestern, Illinois, for men. But it just doesn't seem like it might happen. There needs to be some ADs that step up, that drive money funds. Uh, St. Bonaventure, we mentioned, we, they needed more admission and uh, more people to go into their school, so that's why they added lacrosse. Maybe we see similar options there, but it's still a far ways away. And some people are saying, hey, why not just have a women's box across? Shut up. Seriously. Let's let's be real. They will more than likely never be box lacrosse in college. And it's a sad truth. I don't know how it is to start up a um another NCAA sanctioned sport. Uh, but you could do that, but it probably won't be a sanctioned NCAA sport. You might have to get another like college co- uh, college league or whatever, like they do, I think, with a few other sports or whatever. Bowling, I guess, or I don't know if there's any non-NCA regulated sports out there. But 
that's a tough challenge. And I don't think I see box lacrosse men or women in there in the next 20 years, maybe even further than that. Still needs to grow. And you're going to build separate facilities and buy new equipment, whatever, for a sport that isn't as popular as field lacrosse. I'm not sure about that. You need also the youth players to play that more often. And there is starting to be a growth in that area, especially with the U.S. box law, uh, the college box leagues in Ohio now, and even last year with Colorado, and the growth in the ML- NLL with the American players, and the Wings and the Seals, whatever. There's still some time for growth, uh, but I don't really think I see a Division One NCAA box lacrosse league come in the near future and with that we are done now I'm not sure how long we're gonna be recording podcasts if it's gonna be once a week twice a week whenever I feel like it whenever the MLL does something stupid like I don't know say that LSN is free and LSN doesn't say it and they just tease something even though we know it's free but you know PR and caring whatever uh, I do hope to get some guests on here or College Crosscast in the near future. If so, we will let you know. And uh, as always, stay hydrated out there, everybody. Bye, Felicia.